Congratulations to the Navy midshipmen. Winners of the Commander in Chief's Trophy, the great Air Force Falcon. All right, welcome to. Against All Enemies, our third episode. Um, we are post uh, lacrosse weekend and week last week for pretty much every service academy, uh, heading into some baseball postseason action. We already started baseball postseason action. Um, and so we've got a good, good episode on tap for you. We're going to talk about those things. Uh, an interview that Scott Lopez did with Nathan Pine, the new Air Force Athletic Director, um, so that's going to be really, really cool. Really glad and thankful for Mr. Pine being willing to sit down with us, you know, this early on in our podcast kind of tenure, which is obviously early on in his Air Force AD tenure. Um, and, and, you know, really, really good interview on tap there for you to listen to, to kind of get his perspective and take on, uh, where he's trying to take Air Force athletics, what success looks like to him, um, at Air Force, what are some of the things he's trying to build and do from an infrastructure perspective to Falcon Stadium and things like that. Uh, so it should be really good. And then after that, we'll finally get into some spring football discussion. I know we haven't really addressed that too much in the, the first couple episodes uh, that we've had here, but we're going to get some football discussion in um, before we kind of head into the summer, and then uh, we'll kind of close it up with some, some thoughts on commissioning week since it is that time uh, at all three service academies in the next couple of weeks. Um, so that, that's the plan. Everybody excited? Ready to go? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. All right. All right. So first thing, I'm going to make it quick because uh, I'm be honest, uh, disappointed in, in the way the lacrosse season ended up. Um, not to say it wasn't successful for a lot of teams to obviously since the last episode, Army won the Patriot League tournament, which was awesome. Men's men's team won the Patriot League tournament. Um, Navy uh, women's team got an at-large bid. So we had two NCAA tournament teams. Um, but I was really thinking the way Army had played in that Patriot League tournament, they could they could win a game in the NCAA tournament, and I was really hoping the Navy women would advance out of that first weekend, even though they had a, a really tough draw and a kind of weather-impacted game against UVA. And then Air Force. Scott, uh, you, you pretty much caught it on the last episode. We were all hyped up about how uh, it was going to be like this great, great lacrosse uh, postseason, and you basically said, I've seen this Air Force story before. Uh, we got to do more than make it to the tournament. We need to win a game in the tournament. Uh, and they didn't even get there. They they lost to a Richmond team they had beat earlier in the year. So uh, why don't we start with you then, Scott? What any any real quick final takes on the lacrosse season uh, since you kind of predicted the future there? Yeah, I mean, as far as Air Force goes, um, I guess let's let's kind of make the excuse, if you will, first. Yeah, it was Coach Bell Wilson's first year. Maybe he still has a little bit of uh, growing pains. He kind of needs to figure out and potentially the the players that he had this year weren't all his recruits, so they might not kind of jive with the vision that he had. Um, so that's understandable. Um, if, if you want to call it a rebuilding year, then I'm happy to say that it was a successful one in that regard. But overall, what it comes down to is just getting those those dominant players. And we had Trey Lervick, who is a fantastic attackman, but uh, it's really just bringing everything together into the fold and making it happen. And I mean, you know, it's disappointing 
but I think the program is, is in good hands, and I still think that they're heading in a good direction. But what we need to see is that catalyst that's going to project uh, Air Force across to the next level. Uh, but what I would also like to make a few comments on is, is the Army game, because I was highly impressed uh, with the way that West Point played against Penn. Uh, it was unfortunate, and what you could see, I think the biggest difference is that Penn has every aspect of their game and every aspect of their team figured out. Uh, Faceoffs were, I, I mean, that was yeah, that was, that was the probably game. the biggest statistic. Yeah, yeah. It was was just faceoffs and the transition game. But Army, I mean, there is I have not seen a team play that hard. Uh, the defense was absolutely devastating with how hard they rode on clears. Um, I mean, the attackmen, they took their shots when they could. No one was... I, I mean, there was a few times when, when there was hesitation, so there probably could have been two or three more goals uh, for West Point had there not been a little bit of hesitation. But that just comes with the territory of, of the kind of recruits that they can get. I mean, it's not a knock on them. They're, they're fantastic players, but really what it comes down to, in my opinion, is getting a team that's super well-rounded and not focusing heavily on just huge defensemen and really quick attackmen it's it's all across the board and that's what it takes to beat uh teams like Penn and I think that that's kind of a good lesson also uh for Air Force looking forward because if they're gonna get into the tournament and be able to beat teams they need to realize that those are some of the things that they need to focus on as well is is having that great face-off man having um you know an attack that that molds really well and then just playing your heart out so uh as much as it stinks that that Army lost for West Point fans and Service Academy Athletics in general, I, I would say that they have nothing to complain about. They really left it out all, all out on the field there. Yeah, I mean, we can jump right over to uh, to Kayla then because, but but you know, I tend tend to agree they play well. They just got they got behind early and the faceoff thing, like you said. I mean, that was that was a difference maker. I mean, if you're if you're losing ninety percent of the faceoffs, you can't you can't win. Um, it's really really difficult to do. So, any any thoughts on the men? based on what Scott said, Kayla, and then, you know, you can give your kind of final thoughts. I know the women's lacrosse team has been kind of your baby, um, yeah. you know, this, this season. So they, they obviously in, ended up finishing against Navy um, in that game when, how we, how we thought pretty much. Thought. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, um, you know, still a great season for sure. Like we've said before, making it to, to places they had never been before as a team. So what, what, what were your kind of final takeaways on the men and women's side for Army? No, definitely. I think kind of the momentum got the best of, of Army men's lacrosse uh, kind of from the beginning, kind of like how Scott said, I think they're a great team. And an 8-13 loss is not ridiculous. I mean, Penn's amazing. So I think they kind of impressed me and kind of how well they performed overall. And then coming off of, you know, the two weeks ago in Lehigh and not, you know, kind of comparatively doing well. And I think also, and I wrote this down, but like we got a you know, a couple teams, or excuse me, a couple players. Nate Jones got his first uh, 14th career hat trick of the season. Both Johnny Serdic and AJ Pareto were named all got All American honors. So I think we have some awesome players kind of going into the next year that I think they can kind of work to become a kind of a more well rounded team, kind of holistic and not kind of being afraid uh, to be a little bit more aggressive with teams like Penn. Um, and obviously, like we had predicted, you know, a couple weeks ago. Army, Navy, women, you know, kind of came, <laughs> the score kind of evened out how we uh, kind of thought that first matchup was going to be, but still proud of, um, you know, Army women's team. Kelly Larkin on Navy is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I think, like we said before, many times for four-year team and having 14 wins for a season is pretty impressive. So I think it'll be great to see them kind of in the future. 
Yeah, they're definitely both teams have very uh, on Army side. I think have solid young cores. I mean, Brandon Nick Turn. Um, I don't know what you can say. I mean, I, you know, he was named at least for inside lacrosse. We mentioned this last time. You know, freshman of the year for the country. Yeah. So, um, you know, they got a lot going on at both schools and and for the men to. I don't think any of us would have sat here on the last episode and and throw money on Army winning the Patriot League tournament, the men winning the Patriot League tournament. Right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, so the way they played, you know, especially against Loyola in that game, I mean, I, I just thought they, they definitely got farther than I expected them to, just kind of hoping that they could pull it out in the tournament. But regardless, terrific seasons for both Army teams. So, all right, Austin, what you got on the Navy side for us? Well, actually, before, before you jump in, so – We'd already kind of finished and wrapped up the men the last time because they we knew they weren't doing it. You know, they weren't they were out of the tournament, uh, or they didn't make the tournament, uh, the Patriot League tournament. Um, and then probably because of that, uh, and for some other factors, uh, Rick Soul was let go at Navy, um, which may have been a shock to some. Um, he's never kind of quite gotten there, and there's you can say what you want. Some of the old lacrosse guys seem to feel like he never really connected with uh, the alumni and the team when he first got there. Um, he did take Navy to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament one year, a few years back. I think that was 2015 or so. Um, so he definitely had some success, but just never could quite sustain it. So if you want to throw any quick thoughts in on, on soul, uh, and, and his firing, feel free. Otherwise you can talk about kind of the, where the women ended up, uh, making that run to the tournament. I would just reiterate, and I don't, I didn't see it as a shock, um, I, you know, it's someone's livelihood, it's someone's job, families are affected, so I don't want to say it was probably what needed to be done, but uh, I, I don't think the results this year kind of, if you look at the trend, you could say maybe was heading in the right direction up until this point, but I mean, it was just, like you said, you, they were a quarterfinal team just a few years back, and so it's kind of been this up and down, and this year just kind of showed like, hey, it's not where Navy Lacrosse has historically been. Uh, lots of turnovers and like just never could overcome that, right? Like it was just turnovers after turnovers after turnovers. So I think you kind of do need to bring in new leadership to kind of change that culture. So excited to see what happens in the future for Navy uh, on the men's side. Can I, um, can I ask a question real quick on that? Um, yeah. Just to you and anybody else, this is for anybody. Um, uh, well, first, I, I think the, the name I keep seeing is J.L. Reppert, Maryland's offensive coordinator, um, who is a Navy grad and uh, has been with, with John Tillman over at Maryland. Uh, was a Navy coach as well for for three or four years, um, so I don't know if Chet thinks he can like he's already pretty much got that locked up once Maryland season is over, or whatever. But that's the name I keep seeing, so maybe that's that's where they go. But um, uh, of the three schools, Navy has had the, probably the most success historically in lacrosse. But do you think that is that an uphill battle that that Chet can't really win? Like in today's landscape and with lacrosse growing like it is, can a service academy team sustain? Uh, deep NCA tournament runs and you know for the foreseeable future I would say absolutely I mean if you look at the recruiting culture that around lacrosse it's 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 not like other sports where you know students are going in with hopes of making it to the pros uh, for the most part and I mean just the the honest truth about about lacrosse recruiting is that most of the players especially a lot of the really good ones uh, don't really need the scholarship money necessarily, um, and that's how they go to, to play a lot of these bigger schools. But I think that if they can bring in uh, the kind of people who might see the the academies as a calling and and realize that you know these are prestigious institutions because that's I mean that's the schools that tend to do really well as prestigious institutions. So I absolutely could see it. 
I do think that, um, and I kind of have a question that that might that might kind of drive this point a little bit. Is is Navy's entire program? Does it consist of like a varsity team, a JV team, and then a full prep school team? Does anybody know? Stumped me. I mean, I I don't know if there's a. I think there is a full prep school team. I mean, that's that's huge. It, it, at Air Force, all they have is just the the regular team. There's no club team. Um, the prep school brings in, on average, I'd say five or six players. Um, and you know, and obviously with prep school attrition rates, sometimes that only means that there's going to be four or five at the end of the day. Um, but I th- I definitely think it's doable. I think that if you were, but if you were to make any kind of comparison, I think if there's any sport that has a chance of really going deep into um, the playoffs. I would say that lacrosse is probably one of those sports within the next decade or so. Well, to confirm, yes, Naps does have a lacrosse team. Um, I'm not sure about a JV structure at, at, okay. at the academy. I don't know if Justin can speak to it. He was there more recently than I was. I don't think they have a JV team. I, I could be wrong, though, but most of the people, they have a very strong club team. I think a club team actually won the national championship this past weekend. Um but they have a very strong club team, and I think most of the club team is people who went to play and di- didn't pan out on the, the varsity team. So, but to so go the back, culture is definitely there. Culture and, and kind exactly. of cultivating it, yeah. Yeah, I would just gonna go back to that original question and say, yeah, I, I I still think a service academy can do well for a lot of the same reasons that that Scott mentioned. I was pretty quick to agree with what he was saying. Um, but going back on the Navy side, I want to give the women a shout out. I know we don't want to spend all of our time on lacrosse. Um, but I, I think since the last time we talked, they've played four games, right? So they beat Army pretty handily. I think mm-hmm. the combined score for the year was like 41 to 18. So I, Army has kind of solidified themselves maybe at the top of the middle tier of the Patriot League. Like there's still a large gap between Navy, and then I even mentioned a large gap between <laughs> Navy yeah. and Loyola. Which and you mentioned that last time, which was kind yeah, of prophetic, so, right? So Yeah, and that's kind of what happened. But then you can see where Navy women fit in. Like, they handled High Point pretty easily. Yeah. Like, so they're definitely a top 20 type team. Uh, and they played Virginia well, which is, I mean, on paper, a better team than Loyola. Uh, so, and a kind of a similar story with Army against Penn. Like, got behind early, played catch up from that point forward. And I think they maybe made it to a, a two goal game at some point. Maybe, maybe a, for sure, a three, maybe a two point game or a two goal game. Uh, because they started winning those face-offs, which they weren't necessarily winning in the first half. So it was good to see that kind of turn around and make it a little more interesting there at the end. But um, a quick rapid-fire question that I had, and I guess maybe then we can wrap up on the lacrosse side of things. If you had to pick who your your biggest disappointment was in Service Academy lacrosse this season and kind of like your, your biggest star team, who would you pick? So I think... I, I might show my Navy bias, right? On the Navy men's side, I'm going to say didn't live up to expectations, disappointing year. Um, they're going to be on the bottom for me. But when I say which team kind of maybe surpassed expectations or exceeded or did really well and I was really impressed with was the Navy women's lacrosse. But I could hear arguments from other schools. So I'm curious to see if that's my Navy bias uh, seeping in or if none of us can look past our own blinders for our own service <laughs> academies with that question. Yeah, I mean... I'll go ahead and just, and then if you, if the other two of you have any, any thoughts, cause I would say the same thing just off the top of my head. And that may be the bias thing again. Just That's the whole thing. I wanted to be quick. Um, is, you know, when you have Grayson Terrain and Ryan Wade and those guys on the men's side and you don't even make the Patriot league tournament, that's a, that's, I think the most disappointing season. 
Um, and then how are you, how are you going to replace the Collins twins coming into this year? Um, and what you lost and to still have a strong enough record and beat enough ranked teams to get an at large bid if you're the women. Um, and then to win a game, get to that second game against you. I mean, that's, and I'll be honest, I thought this whole season, I was just going to admit something and that, and I follow obviously really closely. Uh, I thought Kelly Larkin was a senior until today. I did not realize she's a junior until today yeah. when I was reading an article yeah. about her wanting to be an NFL. Um, so the fact that she's back oh, next nice. year, and it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah. Anyways, Kayla, Scott, what do y'all think? Mm, let's see over or like over like performed Disappointment, met expectations. Yeah, or biggest overachieve or big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of met overachieve army women under, I don't know. It's hard. I would, I, I guess I would say Navy women just because of the loss, but really, <laughs> I was kind of expecting them to win, so I say that. <laughs> Dang, high expectations. Yeah. I like it. Scott? Um, yeah, I would say that probably... I, I was actually impressed with Army, and now, granted, yeah. this is also because I don't catch a lot of women's lacrosse. Um, it's, I mean, just where I live, they don't... I don't get to see a lot of it, and uh, Air Force also doesn't have a team, so that kind of is a little bit of a... I guess there's no real incentive for me, but then... Um, I would say that Navy was disappointing on the men's side, but Air Force maybe a hair above <laughs> them in terms of Im- being impressed, uh, strictly for the for the fact that we have a new coach. Yep. And then I was I was truly impressed with the Army men's. I, I thought that was really good. Like I said, um, the only statistic that they, other than the score, that they really uh, were outplayed on was faceoffs, and that was three three faceoff wins, twenty two losses. So uh, it is what it is with that. Cool. Yeah, it's a little bit split there, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to hear. Yeah, that's a good question, Austin. Thanks. Thanks for throwing it out to us. All right, that's like 17 minutes on lacrosse. Um, so we're uh, gonna put a pin in lacrosse, I think, for for AAE for a while. I don't think we'll be talking lacrosse, <laughs> other than maybe mentioning whoever Navy hires, um, whenever that happens. Uh, or for, the draft. Or the draft. Right. Yeah. Possibility. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we already had the the PLL draft, and we had a couple um, of guys, you know, get picked up between the teams um, in the PLL draft. So, but yeah, all right. So let's uh, let's shift gears. Um, Scott, with all due respect, Air Force baseball. I, I, we're probably not going to talk about them that much, just because they are still competing in conference and haven't gotten to the conference tournament yet. Uh, we did discuss them a little bit last time, right? We were talking about. Um, just kind of their up and down season, so pretty much more of the same since then. Um, but uh, we were talking Army Navy baseball last time, and as we kind of predicted or hoped or thought would happen, uh, we got a rematch coming up. Patriot League Championship this weekend in Annapolis. Navy's the number one seed uh, in the Patriot League tournament, uh, even though Army beat them um, in the, the season series and for the star. So Army's traveling to Annapolis to take on Navy this weekend for the, the chance to go to an NCAA regional uh, and make the NCAA tournament. So I'm not going to give my thoughts yet. Uh, let me throw it over to Austin first and kind of give us maybe your thoughts, a preview of the weekend. Um, and then, uh, you know, a prediction if you have one. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on that preview actually right now, hoping to push that out in the next uh, day or so for the, for the Patriot league uh, championship. And it's crazy when you look at the statistics of just how evenly matched kind of these two teams are. Uh, and that kind of shows through the uh, best of five series essentially this year that Army leads 3-2, but then Navy wins the Patriot League regular season title, which is why they get to host. Last year they got to host, and they were swept in two straight games. 
Um, this year, I think that's going to be a very difficult task for Army just because of Noah Song. Noah Song is human, so there mm-hmm. is a possibility that, sure? you know, he... he <laughs> <laughs> that is up for debate. Um, but you have to like Navy's chances when Noah Song's on the mound. Uh, so I, I see this probably going three. Um, I think both teams have a strong pitching staff. Uh, with Army is going to have Giovinco probably on day one. Uh, Burgraff's probably going to come in on day two, I imagine, or the second game. And then I think that third game is where the Navy pitching staff might actually be able to put something together to win a, a, a three-game series in, in a game three type setting. But really it depends on the bats as well. What's crazy what I found out when I was writing this preview is that for team hitting batting average this year, you're talking about Army hitting a 254 on the season. No, 274 in the season, I'm sorry. And Navy seating a 275. So you're talking about a lot of identical opponents in terms of the Patriot League and, and you know, a pretty similar batting average. So it's just going to be who can who can create uh, offense, who can get runners in scoring position early with one out or no outs, and who can convert. Uh, and I think you're going to see some tight games, probably a low-scoring game in game one, maybe some more runs scored in game two or three. But I like Navy's chances at home, revenge from last year winning a three-game series. That's my prediction. So Navy in three. Which Navy in three. That's what I'm saying. Um, so I'm just going to update everybody, and then I'll see if, Kayla, if you have anything to add to the, to the conversation, and then I'll kind of come back and give my thoughts. But let me just update everybody real quick on Noah Song, because we seem to do that every time. And I don't know. If, <laughs> I'm not going to allow Austin. To be, that, that can't be your shout-out of the week. You just can't be. Um, I mean, you got You have to go vote for him for the Golden Spikes. Yeah, he's award. at the midseason or whatever the – or semifinalist, sorry, semifinalist. Leads the country in strikeouts, 11-0, second best ERA in the country. Why not? Why can he not be my shout-out? He can be, but I'm just Every saying, week. like, he's not. those things, right? Like, <laughs> he, he is number one, you just said, 150 strikeouts and 87 innings pitched. That's insane. Like, that... And let me, uh, let me plug this as well. If you do want to go vote for him, go to usabaseball.com. Um, I actually just voted. You can vote 25 times per day. Uh, as a fan, and for any Air Force fans listening, obviously we don't have any Air Force people in it, and there's also no one with a namesake that's like Hap Arnold or Lance <laughs> John. So um, I would say, so do, do him a, yeah, do the Service Academies a favor and go vote for Noah Song. There we go. Hey, so yes, and so let me, if you are an Air Force fan or an Army fan, perhaps, well, Army might not be voting because of this weekend coming up, but if you're an Air Force fan, let me just fill you in in case you haven't listened to us before once again. 150 strikeouts over 87 innings pitched. That's almost two strikeouts an inning. Not quite. But, I mean, that is that is insane. He leads the country in strikeouts. Uh, he is second in ERA, like Austin said, with a 1.03 ERA. Uh, he's almost gotten that thing sub-1 for the entire season. He leads the country and wins with 11. He has no losses. He's 11-0. and 0. And in his 13 games pitched, he has six complete games. Six complete games in 13. And he's given up nine extra base hits the entire year. And 13 games started, he's given up nine extra base hits. People are hitting 156 against him. I mean, it's just, it is ridiculous. And I'm all, Austin said he's writing the preview. I'm writing an article uh, on song that I'm going to hope to get out tomorrow, if not tomorrow, Friday, um, because I wanted the chance, just in case Navy does lose to Army this weekend, that I felt like we needed to write something, a piece on song before – uh, potentially his career is over at Navy because he's rewritten the record books um, and what he's done is amazing. And he's his, I mean, 
I didn't realize his fastball was sitting at like 95 now. It was not 95 when he got to Navy. Um, he's consistently hitting 95. He's got a nasty breaking ball. His control is just, I mean, watch him on Friday. I watched the game on Friday against Army. He puts the ball where he wants it every single time. No, That's why no one can hit him. Um, and I, I'll put a picture in, but I showed a picture from the last, from my buddy who teaches at the academy um, from the last time he pitched with the scouts there. I mean, he, he's going to get drafted, and it's he's, it should be pretty high considering the fact that he's, you know, at Navy. And um, I'm not going to get into the whole world-class athlete program thing. That's another conversation for another day. Um, but we'll see what happens with, with Noah Song. So, Kayla, what, any, any thoughts on the Army side now that I've hyped up Song yet again? <laughs> no, it's, it's fine because I feel like I was kind of going in the same direction of my kind of only question and, and kind of noticing all this is Army and Navy are kind of pretty evenly matched numbers-wise kind of across the board. And I'm wondering if Noah is kind of the only – if we sort of think he's like the only sort of take him out determining factor in kind of what Friday is going to be about. Especially if, you know, Austin has them winning in three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I, I think if we got a consensus here, right, I think, I think, don't me if I'm wrong, or we just say it, like, does everybody think with Noah Song on the mound on Friday, 11-0 and 0 this year, that Navy wins on Friday? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, so yeah. 4-0 on yeah. that. So we think that that's more than likely going to happen, right? So that is obviously a significant advantage. Um, and – but but on the Army side, you said you know they're pretty even on hitting. But when when I see Austin, or when I see Army play Austin, what I see though is I feel like Navy is um, not as dynamic batting. Like her two beasts is now for Army is the Patriot League leader in steals all time now. Um, that dude can swipe bags pretty much every time uh, he gets on first base. He's stealing second. Um, so they, they've got that where you know he's got forty stolen bases this year. Um, her two beasts so. And that's their their leadoff guy, and then Gia Sheen, or however you say his last name, right, um, is 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 a um, not. I mean, he's got six home runs, but he's got sixty one RBIs on the year because I mean he can put it to all all parts of the field. So I just feel like um, they they're more dynamic. I don't know if that's the right word, if that makes sense. Than than Navy on offense can can produce more runs in different ways than perhaps Navy can, um, and I think that's what we saw the first time they played against each other. So. If we give Navy the first win on Friday, um, basically Army's got to repeat what they did in Annapolis and take two, um, you know, the the remainder of the weekend, um, and they certainly can do that. And so I would kind of lean towards Austin's thoughts on uh, give Army the game two and then kind of winner take all game three. And see what happens. Um, I'm just gonna say outside. This is on, this is an honest outside removing bias. I would prefer to see Navy win because I would like to see Noah Song in a regional. Uh, against a number one team in a regional, like if they went to East Carolina and played ECU, um, who Air Force already beat this year, uh, because I think they have a better chance than Army to win a game in a regional. I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on that. No, I would I would agree. Um, and I and hear what you're saying about Army uh, at the plate. I think when you look at the overall like team numbers in terms of the batting average, and I described they're pretty much identical, I think where Navy steps up is they might not have they might not have the the power at the top, but I think like you know their their five through nine hitters or five through eight hitters or whatever are going to be maybe stronger than Army's latter part of the lineup, which is just kind of consistent. Everyone's kind of hitting you know two eighty or whatever and is there where Army might have a bigger drop off on the seven eight nine. So we'll see. I, I, I'm hoping it's a three game series. Should be a fun one. I mean, I wouldn't mind if it was two straight with Navy winning. I'm, I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I, I mean, and so we'll, we'll, let's hope next podcast, I, I hope that we get to talk about uh, a regional um, and, and who Noah Song is to go up against. So, all right, that's going to bring us through kind of the uh, non-football sports for the day. Uh, after this next break, uh, commercial break, we have an interview between Scott, our Air Force guy, and the new AD at Air Force, Nathan Pine, who's only been there a few months. Um, and it, it's a really good interview. So um, hopefully you've stuck through to this point. We're going to talk football on the back end. We saved that, so maybe you kind of come back after that. But but if not listen to anything during this this episode, listen to the interview with Nathan Pine for all you Air Force fans out there, or even Navy and Army fans, to kind of see where Pine's mindset is. Pretty cool that we got to uh, to interview him um, this early on in our in our podcast. Um, so so that'll be good. So check that out. Yeah, we'll be right back. All right, so I'm here now with Nathan Pine, the current athletic director for the United States Air Force Academy. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. How are you doing today? Doing great, Scott. Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've been covering uh, the, all the service academy athletics over at Against All Enemies now uh, since the fall, and it's been an interesting time really to get everything started, um, you know, with, with kind of what was going on with the search for the new athletic director and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're really happy to, to kind of have you now. But one of the things that was really important, I think, to note in the search was how we've restructured the athletic director position under the Air Force Academy Athletics Association. And how have you been told and what is kind of the sentiment as far as how the, the job description has changed now that, that, now that the restructuring has actually happened? Sure. Well, I, I think that I would characterize it as that I think it's, one, a very important change for the Air Force Academy because it uh, allows our athletic director to operate in a way that's pretty common in Division One athletics. Um, specifically, that, that includes ability to fundraise and engage in revenue-generating activities similar to the setup at both Army and Navy, and again, very commonplace in Division One. So we've put ourselves in a position to operate in, in a lot of ways more like a traditional athletic department and athletic director than we had historically. And that was one of the really interesting things to me as we looked at the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing also that I would like to, to kind of know, and, and let me know if I'm, if I'm on to something with this, I think that also when we make decisions as an academy, um, it's not only the comparison against other service academies, but it's also a regional thing. So I know they talked about, with salary and the ability to actually give you all the tools that they need. They looked at other schools in the Mountain West, like Colorado State and things like that. Yeah, Is that kind of true? I do. I think that was an important thing. We compete in the, the Mountain West Conference, and we're, we're successful in the conference. And so we wanted to make sure that we positioned ourselves to attract a leader uh, of that caliber, but also wanted to make sure that we retained that leadership so we had the continuity here at the academy I think, you know, certainly I said from my perspective it was necessary, but General Silveri, I think, was, was very confident that this change and model needed to happen in order for us to continue forward as a viable and successful enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who might be listening who may not know, pretty much before you were actually hired, um, the last 10 years or so and a, a little bit beyond, beyond that, it was more of a military position and we had Dr. Hans Mew and then Jim Knowlton 
who came in, and then for an interim period, we had Colonel Jen Block, um, who was who was in the military during her service. And um, I mean, really, for lack of a better word, I would say that they didn't have the exact same experience that you do, um, kind of with Division One athletics. As much as they loved the program, they definitely did. They had a great passion for it. I think your experience with fundraising coming from a school like Army with more experience, as well as California, Maryland, or Holy Cross, I think it's going to be a really fantastic thing. Um, so so what have your first few months on the job been like uh, in terms of finishing out this season, and, and what are you looking to in the next year with 2019-2020? Sure. I, I think it's been a sprint. Uh, I mean, as it always is uh, when you step into a new institution, the uh, First four months have been uh, a lot of balance between internal and external constituencies, but but also really trying to to get around and, and meet our cadet athletes, spend some time with our coaching staff. So that balance is always a challenge whenever you you step into a new position. But I think that you know to your second part of your question, what have I seen and how are we finishing? I think competitively, you look at Air Force, we're having a pretty outstanding. 2018-19, and that's no credit to the new guy in the AD chair. I think we've had things rolling pretty well this entire year. That's a big testament to our, our coaches, our cadet athletes, and Colonel Block, because currently we sit at number 49 in the Learfield Cup standings for all of Division One. That's that's a high watermark for us, and we're continuing to, to move the needle forward. When you look at how we competed against Army and Navy, we have winning records against both of those institutions, and that's really important to us. But as we look at ourselves on the national scale, I think we're having a tremendous year, maybe our best ever. And I think that's exciting because that's a really good jumping off point for generating more revenue, fundraising, and all the things that are going to keep us moving forward down in the future years. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've talked about it a lot, especially it's been insanely impressive with, uh, with like the women's tennis team, obviously soccer and gymnastics and things like that. And one trend that I've kind of noticed is just the quality of individuals that we have coming into our athletic programs. You know, they're turning down other offers from other schools. Um, like we have a, a recruit who I guess is committed, and he turned down an Alabama offer. And TJ Fumagalli on, on the tennis team, you know, she had offers from Nebraska and Kansas State. And I think it's probably a real testament to the kind of things that have been set up for you. And, and is that maybe one thing that you want to continue with? Is is kind of pitching the academy to student-athletes who may not have considered it before? I think that's an important thing that we consider and we talk about all the time. The, the academy is a special place. I mean, when you look at the academic rep reputation, when you look at the value proposition and what we bring to the table, not only uh, while they're here, but once they graduate, the, the academy is an incredible option. So I think for us it's a matter of, continuing to, to figure out how to articulate that in a compelling way when we're sitting in the living room with young men and women and their parents uh, to help them understand just all of the opportunities that are here at the academy because those have been here for a long, long time. It's how we make them relevant in today's society and, and what today's top-end recruits that I think is ultimately going to determine our success, especially with some of those blue-chip kids like you mentioned before. Absolutely. So I think with that and with your experience and kind of what you're talking to, what you've noticed, um, you do have a lot more experience than the people in your previous in the position previously and probably a lot more than some of the other folks in the athletic department. What are some of the challenges that you think you've 
potentially inherited since coming in? And what are some of the things that you look at and say, I think we could do this a lot better? <laughs> well, I, I guess I, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, I would, I would start by uh, challenges is I, I've got to come up to speed on a lot of acronyms. And even though I had a little bit of time at that uh, other academy in New York, uh, we, we do it a little differently here at Air Force. And so there's a steep learning curve just to understand the language and be, start to get up to speed. But um, in all seriousness, I, I think that there's a ton of upside at the Air Force Academy, and that, that's why I'm here. I'm trying to figure out how to clone myself and be in multiple spots at the same time so that we can shorten that learning curve. But um, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think that trying to balance that time with cadet athletes, coaches, staff, and then also get out externally to take advantage of the new opportunities that we have in revenue generation and fundraising, that's always going to be the biggest challenge. But, you know, we're going to keep moving the for program forward in a positive way, and the way that we're going to do that is with energy and enthusiasm. So I, I don't worry too much about historical barriers. I look at this as a kind of a clean slate. We've got an opportunity now to replicate some of the things that are very common in Division One, and we, in a lot of ways, we get to uh, you know engage the Air Force and the Air Force Academy in conversations about making some changes and why we might consider some of those things. Mm -hmm. And and just to kind of go on that a little bit, some of the things you're talking about in terms of improvement and uh, and sort of growing our name as, as an academy and as an athletic department, we have the NHL Stadium Series coming up next winter. Uh, do you think that's going to do anything in terms of kickstarting maybe improvements to Falcon Stadium or some of the infrastructure around that? I think I'd share with you a little bit. We're, we're already underway with some improvements at Falcon Stadium. We, we have some elevators going in and some ADA access upgrades that we're doing around the facility. We're also taking a look a little bit at some of our Wi-Fi and other infrastructure things currently because we want to keep chipping away and making uh, Falcon Stadium the best it can be. But the NHL game coming, will, and it's part of the stadium series, which is, is quite a uh, big production. So we're already underway with some of the planning. We had folks on campus here a week ago to start planning and our site survey and, and a little bit of that. So it's going to be a great exposure for the academy. We're going to be able to highlight all of the good things that are going on at Air Force, but we're also going to be able to showcase our stadium. So, yes, I think the short answer is that will jumpstart visibility, but it will also jumpstart a little bit of enthusiasm and engagement around Falcon Stadium that I think will help kick us off on some of those facility things that we want to continue to do moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the last few years, unfortunately, we've We've kind of seen that attendance has been down at Falcon Stadium for especially football games, and especially later in the season, and it's really tough. I think it's kind of an uphill battle when you have to deal with the fact that there's weather and then just the sheer fact that, you know, the academy is kind of far from a lot of, of residents in, in the Colorado Springs area. Um, so do you think that what's kind of your vision to to get those numbers back up? And, and obviously, like you said, it's it's really showcasing it and getting um, improvements to Falcon Stadium. And I noticed another thing that you guys did that I think is an awesome idea, and that was the partnership with, with Tailgate Guys. What's sort of your vision to improve that um, aside from the things we've already mentioned? Well, I appreciate that, Scott. I, I think that one thing we would we need to look at it, you know, holistically, this is a national trend with decreasing attendance 
at sporting events and, and it's something that a lot of institutions are wrestling with right now. So we're not alone in this. I think for us, we look at it as we, we do have some built-in things that are going to help us a little bit, um, and we also have some challenges. You've got the Colorado Springs community here, which is a, a very good population right in our backyard. So encouraging folks to come to the academy, we've got a population right here that can fill our football stadium. And so the onus is on me and on our staff to make sure that we're getting out there and engaging the community and inviting them to come to Falcon Stadium to purchase tickets to be part of this experience. So I've taken full advantage of each one of these speaking invitations in our community and with our community leaders to make sure that we tell them that we want them to come and be a part of this. We need them to come and be a part of it. We don't have enough folks on base to fill up Falcon Stadium. So we have to be engaging and compelling to the community. And then the challenge with internally here with our staff is we've got to make sure that once folks come and enjoy a football game, they come back. So we got to make it a fan-friendly experience. It's certainly an economic uh, value when you look at entertainment options out there. But we've also got to make sure that people come and have a great day and want to make sure that they make plans to come back. So that's some things that we're talking about, and you alluded to it when we partnered with Tailgate Guys. That was a, a way to increase some fan amenities, make it a little bit easier maybe for our folks that come in from a distance to have a really first-class tailgating experience. So we're going to continue to see things like that grow and expand, and we're going to look nationally at, at what things are working in the stadiums that continue to draw really large crowds what things can we replicate, and then what things are natural and inherent to the academy that we bring to the table special and different than anyone else. And so trying to highlight and showcase those is going to be key over the coming years. I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think another thing um, in, is really just that, you know, performance is another thing that draws people in. When a football team is playing well, I think that helps. Um, I think we saw some pretty big numbers when soccer was doing really well, and hockey is always always draws in big numbers. What are your goals from a strictly competitive standpoint? Um, and if you could give me potentially any, anything that's actually measured, maybe like a Camino Chiefs trophy at least once every other year, or a certain number of sports making NCAA playoffs, is there, is there anything like that? Scott, I like your style. Pin, pin me down to some some hard measurables. I'm I'm good with that. We <laughs> we talk about it when you work in the uh, the college athletics world. We keep score. Wins and losses are tracked and measured, and so it's something where we want to have goals that are out there front and center that we can uh, see how we're doing. So as you look at it holistically as a, an athletic department, I would say we're looking ambitiously to be a top 50 finisher in the Learfield Cup standings annually and and that's something that it's measured it, it translates across all conferences it translates across all division one athletic departments so that's a pretty hefty goal it's something that i think we've got the potential to do but we're going to have to work hard to be a top 50 program especially when you look at what we're spending against some of those power five conferences i think we can get there but we're going to have to punch above our weight and that's why it's an ambitious goal i think when you talk about the commander in chiefs trophy that's something we want to win every year. You know, Air Force has a long history of keeping that trophy in Colorado Springs. It's left for a few years, so we need to work hard to get it back. But that's what we go into the year shooting for, and that's something we, we want to wear as a badge of honor. That That's a goal that, that we absolutely want to measure ourselves against, and we want to work hard for in the offseason. Absolutely. It was 
it was painful seeing West Point collect that trophy the other day. I gotta tell you, I'd love to see you guys go back to the White House sometime soon. You know, we, uh, we talk about that uh, all the time, and, and the upside of that is there were a lot of years when, when Army was wishing that, that they could be at the White House just like the Falcons were and maybe had their go of it. The great thing about the academies is there is some balance and there is some parity, and I think that's a good thing, but certainly selfishly here at the academy, uh, we want to make sure that that's residing at Air Force, and we're spending that weekend in May at the White House. Yeah. So we've talked about, um, you know, the fans and the community actually going to games and, and alumni traveling and that kind of thing. But just the nature of the Air Force Academy, we have alumni and fans who are spread out not only across the country but across the world. And so when it comes to sports like football, especially in, during the fall, um, it can be tough sometimes to be able to catch and, and tune into as many Falcon games as we want to. And so this year I've noticed that we have more games. So I think we have seven games that are going to be televised. And um, last year we've done, we experimented a little bit with getting games on the stadium network and on Facebook and things like that. But that can get a little bit tough when you're trying to go out to a bar or a restaurant to enjoy the game. So what kind of things are you looking at to grow network coverage for Air Force Athletics? Well, I think you, you look at that. We, we mentioned before we're, we're a proud member of the Mountain West Conference. And so we're just getting started as a conference with our broadcast partners for a deal that comes up in 21. So I can't speak to specifics exactly on uh, where we're at in some of those conversations. Um, we, we do that confidentially as a, as a conference. But I will tell you it's our number one priority right now because that exposure, we're going to look not only to maximize the exposure, but also maximize the revenue out of a new TV deal. And that's going to include the linear broadcast, as you mentioned, we were fortunate to be selected for seven of those this upcoming year. But then also with your over-the-top partners, and that's the streaming and the, uh, the digital broadcast. So as we talk about reaching our audience worldwide and nationwide, we've got to consider both of those factors because the Air Force Academy is a national brand. We have followers all over the globe. And so we want to make sure they're going to be able to access it, whether they have a linear television station or they're picking it up off of the stream. We want to have the ability to be in front of them on both of those platforms. The other challenging piece of that as you look at it is we want to be mindful of the game start times because we were just talking a few moments ago about filling up Falcon Stadium and filling up Clune Arena and making sure that we have good crowds here in person Part of that is the start times, and so you've got to find that right balance between television and exposure and also making sure you're not cannibalizing your crowd in the venue. So those are pieces that we talk about not only individually as an academy, but with our conference partners as we evaluate the decisions in front of us. The, the big piece of it, too, in, in today's ever-changing media delivery is you want to make sure that you protect your, your future technologies and the things that you don't know because there will be new delivery mechanisms over the course of a new television contract. And so you want to make sure that you have the ability to take advantage of those new deliveries as they become available because as we've seen over the last 10 years, what used to be all linear distribution has changed significantly and we have over-the-top partners and subscription services and digital platforms where people are actively picking up games and, and running them through their television. So technologies that weren't even conceived maybe 10 years ago are very commonplace 
in today's college athletics consumption market. So we want to make sure that we're prepared to take advantage of whatever that next new delivery mechanism is going to become. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, ne- I never thought about that. How how long do those contracts usually go for when it when it comes to restriking a media deal? So the media deals can range anywhere from five to I think I've seen them as long as fifteen years. Um, they're wow. starting to become shorter and shorter because of the change in technology. So I wouldn't be shocked if we were looking at somewhere in the five to seven range as a conference. But again, if it's a really compelling offer. You look at the Big Ten, you look at the SEC, sometimes those are 10-year deals or longer. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so you have have basically worked and lived uh, on both the East Coast and the West Coast. You were at Oregon State and then over in uh, New York with Army and then back to California and then over to College Park, Maryland, and then, uh, and then Massachusetts. And now this is the first time you've kind of been landlocked, really. What has been your favorite thing about living in Colorado so far? Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, mountains, sunshine, you got the academy. When when you look at Colorado, this was a, a very compelling opportunity for my wife and I, and, and we looked at it. It is the first landlocked state. We've, we've mentioned that and chuckled a couple times, but I'll tell you, Colorado reminds us a lot of uh, both of us are from Oregon, and, and so a lot of those West Coast personalities, vibes, but also a lot of the outdoor activities were really compelling as we, we looked at the academy. So I love Colorado. This has been a great move for us, and, and we're excited to be here. Have you had a chance to climb Eagles Peak or do the incline yet? I haven't. I've, I've been grinding it pretty steady in the office so far, so I'm looking forward maybe okay. as the weather clears this summer to get out and do a little more of the hiking and outdoor activities. But for the short term, it's been all athletic competitions and spending a lot of time here in the office. Well, as an Air Force fan, that is that is very good to hear. Well, since you spent a lot of time up on the hill, have you had a chance to try any of the food at Mitch's yet? Absolutely. I, I've actually had a number of uh, lunches and meals at, at Mitch's. They, they had me up on the uh, staff tower a number of times. It, it seems like, fortunately, we've been having a lot of our teams and cadet athletes recognized for competitive successes, either wins over Army or Navy or conference championships. So, We've had plenty of opportunities to celebrate on the staff tower at Mitch's. Do you have a, uh, a favorite food? I know a cadet favorite is, is chicken strip day. Have you had a chance to try those? I, I have had chicken strips. I, I've had a few uh, pasta dishes. I couldn't tell you exactly what they were, but uh, yeah, they were pretty solid. I did get a little <laughs> bit of a uh, pro tip from a few of our cadets that with a little uh, – Tapatio uh, hot sauce that goes a lot better. So I, I'm starting to learn oh, yeah. some of the uh, cadet moves for uh, the best way to enjoy Mitch's meals. Absolutely, it's a grind. The same thing for four years, kind of mix it up. You gotta, you gotta do some different things. Well, um, this has been awesome. Uh, really eye-opening. Some, some really interesting stuff. And and I think that right now it's just a time for Falcon fans and alumni and current cadets to just be really excited about the future of Air Force Athletics and enjoy the success that we're having right now. Um, So I just want to say thank you so much for doing the interview. Um, It was a really great time, and and I wish you all the best. God, I appreciate the opportunity. I'll look forward to joining you again sometime here in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we're back. Uh, thanks for tuning in to that interview between Scott and Nathan Pine. That was really good stuff. It's really cool to hear his vision and, and where he's trying to take Air Force Athletics. And it's got you've got to be excited. I know Scott 
uh, was during the interview and afterwards. Um, just that, that Pine seems like a really good guy. He's got some really innovative thoughts. He's really coming in at this with a, with an open mind um, from a non just military kind of perspective, having been at a bunch of different schools and and not just a, a you know colonel in the Air Force or whatever coming in trying to, to run athletics at a D1 school. So it's really cool. Um, and, you know, even for Navy and Army fans to kind of get get a glimpse into to his mindset. So, all right, it's time to talk football. We've kind of not talked football really, barely, hardly at all in the first couple of episodes. But, um, you know, that was because we were focusing on spring sports. And now that we get get done with spring sports, it's pretty much going to be all football for the most part from <laughs> here on out, right? Um, right. Heading, into, heading into the season. So, Let's just catch everybody up a quick kind of post spring recap, if you will, on where uh, where all the teams stand. So, um, you know, coming off that interview, Scott, and everything that Pine had to say about the importance of winning the CIC trophy every year. Um, how's Air Force looking post spring? Yeah, um, I mean, so I'll kind of give just like a couple uh, extra thoughts. You can you can read about my full thoughts on it on againstallenemies.com. Um, but one of the things that really stands out is, as per usual, Air Force is kind of a closed book when it comes to really letting us know what they're thinking and how they feel. Yep. Uh, so I kind of had to do a lot of deductive reasoning, really, to determine what kind of challenges and what kind of things are going on. Um, I the, the good problem to have is that we still have a quarterback race. I mean, I broke down the statistics, and I mean, Isaiah Sanders and Donald Hammond are really neck and neck in terms of what they can do on the football field. So it's going to come down to intangibles. Um, and then to make matters worse, I don't know exactly uh, what his status is or if he's even going to be on the varsity team. But we have another quarterback coming in from the prep school. Um, and his name's Ben Jefferson. And they just came out with the numbers from the lifts that they did for testing. And he is five foot 10, 168 pounds. He has a 300-pound power clean, and a, he runs a 4.5240, and that's the Ooh. top of the prep school. Hey, that is can I Can I jump in real quick? Who was that yeah. wide receiver? I, I saw that list because I think maybe you retweeted it with a comment or something. That wide receiver that ran like the 4.41 but all, and had the 38-inch you know, vertical but then also was cleaning and, and squatting like insane numbers. Yeah. Um, like, so I, I don't have wow, his name. Like, like I said, it's, it's just a yeah. – yeah, yeah, it's it's just they're kind of a closed book with all that stuff. But I mean, if you want to talk about a recipe for just a devastating triple option, how about a guy who is lightning fast, who can lay huge blocks downfield and also catch a football? I mean, it just kind of wearing somebody down and then opening them up, opening up DBs uh, for long passes, and then if you have a guy who can take hits all game, hit hard, and and run and throw, I mean, I have no doubt that he's going to be in the conversation. Uh, for the starting job as well and it's been a really long time since we've developed a quarterback from a young age I think the last person that we've really had um, who's seen all four years was Tim Jefferson which not foreboding necessarily but kind of the last name namesake Uh, and so and, and I think it's also telling because out of high school he was seen as a huge dual threat quarterback and he was uh, had offers also from both Army and Navy so I I when it comes to Air Force with past performance, it's been a problem, honestly, because I, I don't think we've allowed any quarterback to establish kind of leadership. We've just been going based on their stats as to who we pick week to week. And I think that that's where some of the breakdown comes with making silly mistakes on the field. Um, and so that's just really something to think about. But it's a lot of the same. We're returning a ton of players. 
Uh, Garrett Coppola is really stepping up as a leader. He was named on the the NCAA Division One Football Oversight Committee, um, which just goes to show what kind of guy he is. And um, and I mean we have guys like Mo Fafita who is who's on um, our D line as well. So a stacked team. We have all the tools just like we did last year. The difference is they're even more experienced. So the question is. Um, are, is our coaching staff going to take advantage of that? Are they going to open up the playbook? Are we going to create some kind of two-minute drill that we, even if we had one last year, it was never used? Um, and so it, it's really in their hands at this point. And so I, I think we have just as good a chance as ever to win the CIC, uh, and we'll see. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I had kind of two two names that, or two things that were sticking out in my mind. You mentioned Coppola because I think, um, that, that, that intangible factor that you kind of even mentioned or said was kind of missing at times from not getting a quarterback in rhythm who can kind of be that leader. Um, he seems to have it and then some, um, which I just think is, is going to be critical, not just on defense, but for that team, the way he is, has stepped up with what he did to help out with getting people for the basketball games. And every time you turn around, he's like hanging out with Howard Schultz. And <laughs> then, you know, yeah, I mean, he's named to the oversight committee. He's academic All-American, whatever. I mean, he's just like, he's all over the place and seems to be really stepping into the leadership role. And, oh, and he's a really good football player. Um, and then the, the quarterback battle, I think, is is like, it's one of those things where it's 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 a good thing to have because um, obviously um, you want to have that depth. Um, but the way it was handled last year, I just am hoping for it to be handled better Um this year for some of the reasons you mentioned Scott because I think that's the downside of having two people so evenly matched is the way they just seem to go back and forth and try to play the hot hand but it just didn't work out because no one could really get into a rhythm at times um, I hope that that in the same way the Navy has had issues with that I feel like of just kind of cycling quarterbacks trying to find the answer I think Air Force has two people two guys and Sanders and Hammond that can both be the answer so I hope they're able to establish one um, and that 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 all goes over well, I guess, in the, in fall camp. So, um, all right, Kayla, Army, we just we just got the CIC trophy uh, yeah. last week or so, and uh, coming off obviously their best season ever. So, how do we top the best season ever in Army football history? And what are we looking like heading into uh, to fall camp out of spring ball? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I have kind of two two big points, but just obviously had had an awesome season, record season, eleven and two. Um, a bunch of polls have Army ranked in the top 25, um, which I was really even surprised to see after covering them <laughs> the past season, but they did awesome. However, kind of on the opposite end of what Scott has is, you know, Air Force has a lot of returning players. We're losing um, a, a big portion, you know, up front. Darnell Wolfolk is out, um, who has uh, appeared at Giants rookie camp. Um, James Nautical out, who was at Brown's rookie camp. Kenneth Brinson, Bryce Holland, James Gibson. Just a bunch of, of kind of power hitters we don't have. Um, of course, we still have Connor Slomka and Kel Walker. Um, so for my kind of my biggest concern is just kind of to see how um, the, the kind of coaching staff is going to prepare um, kind of backup QB and also just like the team in the event that Hopkins something happens god forbid right but that's kind of like how we're kind of developing the team going forward with these big losses um they did army amazing on converting the fourth and one last season um and really power hitters but that's kind of my biggest concern and the second thing is our schedule kind of sucks i mean i'm biased <laughs> but like <laughs> i'm honestly to be quite honest i'm not really a fan <laughs> of the schedule um and maybe that's my bias also coming, uh, you know, from Alma Mater, coming from the ACC side. But we open with Rice. No, you're, 
the following week we see Michigan, which is going to be crazy. Um, but then we have Morgan State, Tulane, Western Kentucky. We see Hawaii again, which was a good match last season. But it's it's so on the opposite side of that, I was kind of disappointed um, scheduling wise because trying to see how well this team is doing. Um, because I think Service Academy wide Army did um, really amazing and kind of put themselves up on the radar. Just football, college football in general, to kind of see Service Academy football and how we, how well we can perform. Um, but then to kind of to see the schedule, I'm kind of like, oh, hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a that's one of those. We, we will no doubt have that conversation in this, the, the summer months heading into the season when we don't have much else to talk about football-wise um, because the Air Force and Navy folks would probably – we certainly would agree with you and uh, we can have a whole conversation on Army's scheduling philosophy um, and if it's working um, and at what point do you get, I mean, everybody's like, oh, we don't care as long as we're winning, it's great. Right. But at, at some point, do you get tired of, of beating up on, you know, Morgan State and UTSA? I don't, I mean, that's another conversation we can have. But I mean, yeah, there's no reason Army's not going to win nine games this year just because of who they're playing, who's playing right. um, for, for their games. On the on the roster side, I mean, I think you were pretty much spot on. You know, they lost a lot, but the 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 position that probably matters the most, right, in a triple option team, uh, they have a very solidified quarterback in Kelvin Hopkins. They did lose that backup in Cam Thomas, which there was kind of some rumors as to what happened there and why he left Army and all that kind of stuff. But so, how do they find that? You know, hopefully they don't have to worry about it because Hopkins stays healthy. But obviously, he's super dynamic. They do have still have some good slot backs and. And fullbacks, um, but on the defensive side, they lost some guys, like you said, and and and, and James Nactagon, um, and and those guys. But I mean, Cole Christensen is going to be a two-year team captain, and you know he'll help get that linebacking group where it needs to be. But that secondary is just going to be really, right. really good. Elijah Riley and Jalen McClinton were both really, really good this past year, as was, and or uh, you know they they did well last year, and and they're back, and um, that's going to be probably the the best position group I would say overall on the team. So they definitely still have a lot to look forward to. Um, and, and we'll see, I mean, they're coming off, they're riding a pretty good high, but it only takes one loss um, in that CIC race to really kind of throw things, uh, you know, for a loop. And when you're not playing a really tough schedule, like you mentioned, then the number one thing you can hang your hat on this year is to continue to win the CIC and to put up a good fight against Michigan, right? Those are probably the two things that you're going to be hoping to hang your hat on. And if you slip up in one of those games, um, which they have been pretty close against Air Force and Navy, then uh, then maybe the season is deemed a failure coming off of that best season ever. So, um, All right, Navy. We've had a lot of turnover, Austin. Uh, so the defensive side of the ball is basically um, 80% a new staff. So what are we looking at post-spring for Navy? Um, with Malcolm Perry back at quarterback and that that whole that whole ordeal, and then uh, the new coaching staff. Yeah, those are. I mean, those are the two items I was I was wanting to discuss. Obviously, are the the two most obvious, right? Yep. Uh, on the defensive side, first um, with Brian Newberry coming in there as defensive coordinator, you can tell he's trying to instill a more aggressive mindset, a more like get to the ball type defense. Uh, I'm not going to say that that is a high-risk, high-reward. I think he's talked about how he's trying to um, be a little more deceptive, right? But at the end of the day, like making sure they're getting to the ball. So I don't necessarily see that as going against like a bend, don't break. I'm really curious to see how that unfolds as the season gathers, especially in the American Conference when you're going to play teams who are going to 
spread it out and throw the ball and no huddle offense, quick type stuff, which just really hurt Navy the last year or two. So I'm curious to see how Brian Newberry's defense is going to obviously establish themselves uh, within the conference. Another dynamic that I was really interested in seeing in the spring was how what Brian Norwood's role was going to be. His official title is the co-defensive coordinator, but it's definitely been Brian Newberry's show. Like he's he's the one getting interviews. He's the one speaking about the defense. Um, Brian Norwood has I think maybe five or six years experience at Navy already. Um, when it was at Kansas State in between, I think a few other places or whatever. But he's back in Annapolis, uh, and he's as a title as that co-defensive coordinator. So I'm just really curious as to seeing who, who who's in charge. It's obviously clear that it's Newberry. But what role is Norwood going to have in that is something that I really want to see unfold, which I don't think necessarily uh, was apparent in the first couple of weeks of the spring season or the spring season in general. On the offensive side, yeah, you talked about Malcolm Perry. Uh, there's allegedly new wrinkles in the offense, which gets me excited, but also makes me kind of scared because um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I think you'd have to be a little apprehensive to what that means. You know it has to be different from whatever it has, was when Malcolm Perry was under center in the past. Uh, he struggled throwing the ball, so hopefully those new wrinkles allow him to be a more respectable threat You know, when he drops back or whatever it is to try to throw the ball forward so we can actually have something in terms of uh, a running game that establishes itself with Malcolm uh, as the quarterback. I think that was the hardest thing, right? When he was quarterback, he, you knew he wasn't going to beat you with his arm, so you could you could alter your defense to try to contain him as best as possible. We were just not able to convert first downs, and the defense couldn't really hold their own, and all of a sudden it's 14 nothing. we haven't gotten a first down, right? Like that was kind of the story of the year. So both of those things kind of play into each other, um, and I think after the spring I would still say we don't know. Uh, what I do like is that I think the offensive line is going to be a little stronger this year. Uh, Ford Higgins at center is a senior now, and he's the leader on the offensive line that has tons of juniors and seniors on the depth chart. I think it might be all juniors and seniors on the depth chart. Uh, so they're going to have some experience there. I think they're going to be smarter knowing in terms of what the block is supposed to be and calling things out on the defensive side, and I think that's really going to help them out, uh, something that was kind of lacking last year in general. But, yeah, those are the two big things. What you know, What is the defense going to look like? And What's going to happen with Malcolm Perry at quarterback 2.0, which are still question marks for me. Um, I think that you, you kind of hit the the nail on the head there um, on the offensive line. I was going to mention that too. I think the offense is actually going to take a step forward. Um, Not necessarily. I mean, hopefully because the offense is better suited for Malcolm with whatever the wrinkles are, but you know, but he's going to be the guy this year. I mean, he's going to be the guy all year as far as, I, you know, we can tell. There's not going to be any of this moving around. Um, but Nelson Smith comes back and leading that fullback room who had a really good year, some mm-hmm. good slot backs. Michael Cooper at receiver has shown some flashes of being able to make some play. I mean, I just think the offense is going to be better, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm hesitant until I see the defense to think based on the players that we had last year, regardless of the change in system. I'm just – I feel like it could potentially be more of the same where we're just trying to play catch up and, and we'll see, but, uh, but I feel very, you know, very good about the offense and just uncertain on the defense until we see it in action. The Norwood thing, I'll just give my thought on that. And I have no idea. This is just my thought. Um, I, I think he was brought in to be that kind of, um, you know, mentor figure for the rest of the coaching staff, not just the defense. I think in general, like you look at Navy's coaching staff overall um, and, 
they all have, you know, a lot of them have a lot of experience at Navy, but Norwood has been so many different places and held, you know, defensive coordinator jobs at so many big time schools. Um, and, and obviously is a good friend of Ken's, uh, that I think he brings maybe more experience and just a well-rounded coaching, um, you know, ideology from, from everything he's done to the, the coaches room and that he, you know, obviously he's going to coach the DBs and the DBs needed some help. Um, and, and he's going to fit in with Newberry and, but Newberry's going to run the show and he's going to be that guy, um, that's really helping just kind of mentor the coaches. I think at least that's, that's just my thought. I don't know. If no, that's, yeah, right, I, that, that, that's apparently I mean, how it's certainly unfolding and is, you know, probably the way it was intended and seems like a pretty solid plan, right? I mean, Norwood has the experience there. He obviously liked his time in Annapolis. Things happened in Kansas state. So this opened up and, you know, might be perfect timing for him and, and the academy in general. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think that was a big coup for Ken. He thought that too, you know, um, that that Newberry coming in was important, obviously getting the right D coordinator, but maybe even more so getting Norwood away um, and bringing him in um, was maybe the biggest hire of the year, even if it's not because of specifically what he's doing on the field per se. Um, so good stuff. Yeah, we got a lot to look forward to, and and like I said, the next few shows. I mean, from here on out, it's going to be football for the most part, right? So uh, we can get excited. We got a lot of different avenues and ways things we can talk about when it comes um, to to football. Um, like I was thinking, you know, that the whole you know Air Force number one APR thing, like that. I, I want to have a conversation on the podcast, Scott, about <laughs> Air Force's roster and how they never put freshmen on it, and how they possibly. Um, are that solid in the APR every year without fudging the numbers, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, but there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things we can talk about. You should ask. You should yeah. ask Nathan Pine that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it yeah. That we have I have my thoughts on that. We can talk about that um, that down the road. But a lot of good things to talk about. So um, we're going to to uh, take a quick break. Are we taking another break? I don't remember. I think we are. Yeah. Let's take a break. Uh, I'll take a quick yep. commercial break. And then we'll come back, and we're just going to finish up real quickly with our shout-outs of the week, and then it's commissioning week. So we're going to give our kind of favorite commissioning week memories uh, and wrap up the show. So see you guys in a minute. All right, and we're back from our obligatory commercial for SB Nation. Time for shout-outs of the week. Scott, what you got, Air Force? Shout-out of the week. Sounding like a broken record here, but got to give it to Tom Whitney, doing big <laughs> things again, holding up number one in the order of merit list on the PGA Tour Latino America after his win. Followed up the next week and played extremely well and made the cut, which is ridiculous. But he also uh, has made it through the first stage of U.S. Open qualifying. He qualified at TPC Craig Ranch with a 68. And now he'll be moving on. Um, Unfortunately, he has tournaments coming up, so he may have to fly the day after the PGA Tour Latino America finals and play at his sectional qualifier, which is the last one before... um, it's, it's where he would find out if he actually gets to play in the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Um, and he's probably going to do it blind with no practice rounds uh, on a course that he's never played before. So if he can do it, just makes the feat that much more impressive. Um, but he's in, he's in good company. And actually, he beat out uh, Tony Romo at Craig Ranch. So hmm. Nice. All right. Uh, Austin, what you got for Navy? So uh, for Navy, I went with... Um, Sean Brennan. Yes. yes. Yeah, he was in my class, man. I taught him. Man, that must be why he's so good at the shot put and everything, right? That has nothing to do with that. But it might, be, very it might sim- be why he's a team captain. Uh, okay. That's probably more <laughs> likely than I was going to say you probably have not the similar body shape. No, we don't at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so 
This was Navy track and fields back-to-back winning the IC4A championships, which uh, I admit not as familiar with, right? But it has a long history in terms of kind of the Northeast, in terms of a collegiate track. The last time Navy won back-to-back was in the 40s. Um, but it, it's it's something that uh, I know the track and field team values. It's a respectable meet in the Northeast of the country. And Navy was able to win it two years in a row. Big part our big reason for that was Sean Brennan's 24 total combined points for the team. He got first in the shot put, second in the hammer, and third in the discus. Yeah, I mean, good stuff. And I, and I don't remember who you said last time, but I, I pointed out their pin relay win, so that's kind of back-to-back for the track team. And um, I don't know if I dismissed them after they lost Army in the indoor. as just kind of like maybe this, I mean, they've had a tremendous outdoor season. So, um, yeah. And, yes, I taught Sean plebe leadership. So, all right. <laughs> right on. Sean. All right, Kayla, what you got for Army? Um, just real quick, but of course, for my shout of the week, I want to take it to a different sport, but on track and field as well, going to give a shout out to Kendron Jefferson, uh, who took home the win for uh, men's track and field this past week on the 200 meter dash um, with a 2153, which is a little slow for him, which is interesting. I mean, it's, I'm looking at the times and it all seems fast to me, but slow for him. They had some iffy weather over the weekend. Um, he also runs in the 4x100 relay. Um, and I guess um, kind of this week kind of find out if they qualified for the NCAA regionals. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out. Sorry, I we have, might have to cut that out. There, my connection cut out, so we can just okay. cut this out. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Yeah, so two track and fields. Uh, they're obviously wrapping up their season two now uh, here, past Patriot Leagues and the IC4As and all that, um, and and then potentially the Nationals. Um, so last segment for this week. Normally we'd end there, but we're not going to get another uh, episode out before uh, all of the class of 2019 graduates, commissioning, uh, all that stuff going on. Um, at the different academies. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to get um, between me, Scott, and Austin, kind of your real quick, your favorite commissioning week memory. And then uh, if you have any you know, advice in particular you want to add, you can add that too. I'm probably just going to tell my favorite memory. And then Kayla, uh, obviously you're not a service academy grad, so uh, don't have that necessarily in your memory box, but I'm sure um, from the enlisted perspective, there are plenty of things. We could probably do a whole episode on advice that you would want to give. Uh, to new grads um so uh we'll, we'll we'll ask for you know just maybe one thing but but let's uh i don't know scott you want to go first yeah um i mean it's just such a special time of year i'm, I'm sure it's uh, really similar for you guys in nature but it's it feels like it's the one week of the year where the academy is absolutely perfect like the weather is tends to always be beautiful um, and it's just perfect. And we do our commissioning, um, the evening before and every squadron splits up, it does it different places. And, um, in my just probably favorite moment was getting, uh, the oath of office from my dad, uh, just a really cool experience. He was a, uh, 20 year armor officer, uh, did not go to the Academy, but, um, yeah, just a really incredible experience. And, and at this point it just feels like a really strange dream, but I mean, to say that, and I hope my wife doesn't listen to this, but I will say that as of right now, it was definitely the happiest day of my life was walking across the stage um, for graduation. It's it's an unbelievable experience. It's an unbelievable accomplishment. And as much as it's the culmination of, you know, four years for me, five years of work with the prep school, um, I guess if I had to give one piece of advice, it's, it's not the end. It's really the beginning of what you're going to be doing. Um, and so savor it. 
and enjoy it at, at the Air Force Academy. We get 60 days of leave, so take those two months, travel Europe, uh, and have a good time, and then and then just be ready to hit the ground running because it it really will be one of the greatest weeks um, of your life. No doubt, man. Awesome. Yeah. So for me, uh, in terms of a memory. The reason I went to the Naval Academy is I went to the graduation in 2001 to see a family friend. Uh, he actually came to my graduation, gave me a gift. The gift was just a picture of two adults walking, some black and white, and there was a young like four-year-old following behind, and he was holding his arms in the same exact manner as the two adults in front of him. And the whole message was, you never know who's, who's watching, right? Who's watching you as a leader? And I've always hung that in my office whenever I've had one. Uh, still to this day, I have it hanging up because of of that kind of connection in life in terms of what it means to be a leader. And you learn that throughout your entire time at the academy, but it was awesome that I was able to kind of have a visual representation of that from the person that basically influenced me to go to the Naval Academy in the first place. It was kind of coming full circle. Um, after that, something that was a little less meaningful, but an awesome experience. One of my friends from high school came up for the graduation i went to the same high school as ryan zimmerman so they got uh or he got us on field batting practice for a nationals game like the next day so that was also an awesome experience and memory that i'll never forget so thankful for that uh in terms of advice my advice is probably i want to call it superficial my advice might not be as meaningful to graduates uh, down the road <laughs> um <laughs> Put some extra money in your cap when you toss it in the air. I think I threw like maybe a dollar or two in there so a little kid would be excited to have a couple bucks and maybe you know pay for a partial ice cream cone. Now I'm wishing I would have put like a $20, $20 bill in there or something to kind of uh, really wow that kid because I don't know how it is at West Point or at the Air Force Academy, but when we do the hat toss, all the kids come running in there to grab one of your midshipman covers. Uh, and usually you put some money in there, you write a note or whatever, and it's just kind of a cool experience for that seven or eight-year-old to kind of gather that. Um, but you're going to make a lot of money, at least relative to what you've been doing the last four years, so can't hurt to, oh, yeah. to splurge a little bit then, you know? Yeah, and parents, make sure you have a place to meet your kids after. I'm just going to go ahead and give that PSA, because every year it's like <laughs> 10, 10 times, like, come get your kid from the graduation stage that you lost. You <laughs> madness at graduation, right? Um, so I'm gonna I'm going to go... And actually, I'm not going to go for my commissioning week. And I'm going to go back to plebe year. Um, I, I don't know why, but like plebe year commissioning week uh, between sea trials and, and Herndon, climbing Herndon, I don't know. It was just awesome. Um, I think we just, we had a blast. We were having a blast at that time. Um, sophomore and, and second class year, you're in the middle of the heat and you you don't want to be there. And then obviously your graduation is, is, is different. And there were great memories from, from my commissioning week for sure. Um, but, I mean, Austin and I – we're, we're roommates and we're in seventh company together and we were named iron company for sea trials. Um, so sea trials, you go through, um, it's like 14, 15 hours of physical activity and stuff. Uh, it's kind of the culmination of freshman year of plebe year at the Academy. So, uh, for our company to win iron company, that was pretty cool to, to be the number one company, um, at the Academy, uh, for that day for sea trials. And then Herndon, uh, I was like the second closest to getting to the top. Um, Austin can vouch for, uh, for the fact that I was six, two and 135 pounds, um, freshman year. So, uh, I, I had 
uh, and roughly arms. this roughly the same today, guys. <laughs> no, I'm I'm bigger now, but uh, but but I have long arms and I didn't weigh very much, so it was pretty easy to scale up people on Herndon. Um, and uh, besides the guy that ended, it was like six seven who ended up getting the cover and replacing it. Like I was with him like two inches. Um, I still have a picture of me like my arms outstretched um, within like a couple of inches of getting the cover up there. Um, that was no, it was just a cool experience. It was a cool week. The end of plea beer, like all that being done. Um, and Austin and, and Daniel and Pete and I, are, we, had, we had a lot of fun, uh, I feel like, that week. So that, that memory stuck out. Um, as far as advice, I would just say just cherish the, the two, two commission week your senior year. You literally, like, I don't think realize, like, you're not going to see those people again, a lot of them ever, like, that day. Like, you, you throw your hat up in the air, and then as soon as you're done, like, poof, everybody's gone. Like, that's it. And uh, aside from, obviously, you know, maybe roommates or people you're really close to, um, so just cherish that week, cherish that time. Uh, it is really cool and really special, and and, uh, and just enjoy it. So, Kayla, what advice do you have to bring us home here from uh, from your perspective for newly commissioned ensigns and second lieutenants? Yeah, um, I think kind of my two two biggest things are, are definitely don't be afraid to kind of develop relationships, um, you know, with the people, you know, your immediate unit, whoever you're serving with. Um, I feel like sometimes in my experience, especially – with beloved butter bars they seem so scared to talk <laughs> i don't know why that is maybe they're nervous um i remember um having when i first enlisted my first unit i had uh, a warrant officer who took me to my first pt test my first week of my first drill and um, his name is chief Mueller. i'll never forget him um he was just like the most amazing um you know leader and we you know we always joke about warrant officers not knowing where they are what they do um, but we know how important they are. But I would just say, don't be afraid to, to develop those relationships um, with senior leaders, with those under you, um, because you spend a lot of time with them and you want to get to know them, know about their families, know their, their problems, um, you know, know their issues and, you know, know what's, know what's going on in their life. Because I think you really do make an impact um, more than you'll probably know initially, especially, you know, commissioning and knowing that it's a big deal, but it'll impact you way later. Um, and then, of course, don't be afraid to make mistakes because we all do. It happens. You'll make a lot of them. Just learn from it and keep on going. That's it. Awesome. Kayla's the best. Yeah. That, that, see, the, normally normally the stock advice is, is shut up and listen. I didn't want to do the typical, like, do no, that. Was good. I, tried, I tried to be as helpful as possible. Perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That was great. And so, yeah, so class of 2019, congratulations. And, uh and look forward to, uh, well, I won't see you in the fleet. Maybe in the reserve center, but I won't see you in the reserve center. I'm, I'm not going to see you, but um, but good luck. Good luck out there. It's fun. See you at a football game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so, all right, that's going to do it for Against All Enemies episode number three here. Um, a lot of stuff to look forward to, baseball this weekend in particular. So, um, Noah Song, here's the 12-0, and 0, man. Let's, let's go get it, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the next Against All Enemies podcast. Congratulations to the Navy Midshipmen. Back and fight no more. Back and fight no more. Army, for the second year, has won it. To the winners of the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, the great Air Force Falcons. Now, the United States, we are.